Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients, serving Louisiana clients for a hundred 128 years and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities. IberiaBank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. A few generations ago, retail wasn't a distinct business the way it is today. It used to be that you'd walk into a store, a bell rang to alert a person to come out of the back to help you. The person in the back wasn't watching TV. They were making whatever it was that they were selling out front. Today, even though it can be even harder to find someone to help you, we don't expect anyone at Target to be uh, out back making anything. Uh, Even most of what we call mom-and-pop stores are not selling goods they actually make themselves. Now, that's not the case with Tabitha Bethune. Tabitha is creative director on the Wildlife Reserve. That's a retail space on St. Charles Avenue and Canal Street. The Wildlife Reserve store is the public face of a design workshop that makes custom clothing. It's also a fashion incubator for local designers that has launched uh, more than 16 local brands from neckties to ball gowns. Uh, Tabitha, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. And in the lower garden district stretch of Magazine Street, there's a retail store called Luca Falcone custom clothiers. The store has men's suits on racks. You can buy a suit off the rack, but that's not what the store is actually all about. It's about custom tailoring a suit for you and you alone. The owner of this store is Joe Rotolo. Joe, welcome down to lunch. Thank you. Now, I'll start with Tabitha here. Is, uh, Tabitha, typically fashion houses on major commercial corridors are established brands, Saks Fifth Avenue being the most obvious example. Smaller craft-driven boutiques are usually tucked away in cheaper locations. Opening a fashion store that's dependent largely on brand new designers is a bold and unusual business tactic. What made you choose your location on St. Charles Avenue and uh, Canal Street? Well, um, a little bit of um, boldness, (laughs) courage, uh, foolish. (laughs) Um, It was uh, basically we knew that this had to be a location that the world would see. And so we took a risk. Uh, To be a true entrepreneur, you have to take a risk. And so we decided, why not take a risk and build a space where the world would see it and also to um, build that stage for everyone. Now, when I first saw you, I think it was, I believe, the Fret Street Market. And you were in the the necktie business. That must have been the the way back for you. you. (laughs) uh, And and you did a great job on that. Products were, were super and such. But somehow from there... You became the go-to person for other people that wanted to establish a brand and such. How did that happen? Well, we made a lot of mistakes when growing into our brand. And so we decided to protect fashion. Our name, the Wildlife Reserve, comes from uh, the principles of a wildlife is to protect and promote growth. 
So we protect your personal style aesthetic. So our neckties are limited edition goods. I thought they were all made of Nutria. That is not true. (laughs) (laughs) That is not true. But we can if you want that. Um, But what we do is we protect that style. And so everything is limited. We use dead stock vintage fabrics to create that. And then also uh, wildlife promotes growth. And so we take designers, bring them into an environment they can thrive, and release them when they're ready. So at uh, the Wildlife Reserve, when you come in, in the bottom, there's a, uh, in the back, there's a classroom where we work with designers, helping them launch and start. More than anything, helping them lock down a brand, understand their DNA of their brand. Upstairs, we manufacture. And then on the floor is a retail space for them to buy, for others to buy their garments as well. Well, see, so, this is interesting because there's other incubators in town, but the fashion industry needs a very specific kind of incubator. Totally, and it's a for-profit incubator. You see, incubators will bring a brand in and help them, but um, their success is not their success. We're locked in on their success. We're locked in on making sure they're successful. And so we work harder to help them in doing that. And how do you get paid? Do you take an equity stake or do you charge them a fee or how does that in work? In some cases, it's a fee, a very small fee to helping them to build. We start brands for as low as $500. And the reason we start at that rate is because that's what we started. That's how much it costs us to launch the Wildlife Reserve. Well, it's not much. Not much at all. But somebody has to hold your hand and get you through the process. And that's what we do. So we have a lot of designers that come in and they have these big visions. But we then take that big vision and help them understand the business of making it happen. And so we do that at the Wildlife Reserve. Now, I don't mean this to sound, uh, sound bad, but a lot of artists, per se, aren't really very good business people. Oh, so that's not bad. That's a true fact. That's a fact. Okay. That's a true fact. <laughs> and a lot of business people aren't very creative. I, that's right. And so to be creative, you have to have both sides. And it doesn't mean you have to be a business person. You just need a business person on your team. So when you put a business person on your team and you have a creative, then you make your business grow. So we also not just work with designers, but we work with other business owners and helping them to see the creative part of their business. And uh, we have, do we have a fashion industry here? Oh, uh, I totally. know you, I just found out you and Joe know each other. Uh, what, what's it made up of? We have an amazing fashion industry here. We have lots of designers and creatives. We have uh, two fashion weeks that run consecutively that are very large. And we have three. I mean, there's so many fashion weeks. Every time you look, there's another fashion show going on. Um, we have lots of local designers. We have manufacturing here in our city. Um, we have more than four manufacturers in our city. Um, this, if you look at any parade, all those costumes... We make those. So <laughs> New Orleans is big in fashion, and it's awesome to be a part of a community of all these people that are excited in fashion. I know for Joe and I, we both kind of started around the same time when building our brands, and it was, it's, no, it's no secret that everybody wants to do something big, but somebody has to step out there and get it done. And we've been stepping out, making it happen, and getting it done. And it may not be the same way. But the key is to get into the business so that our, the eye on New Orleans, people can see that New Orleans has fashion here. And it's bigger than Saints jerseys. <laughs> That's a good example. There's a, now, Joe, men's tailoring started out with a tailor making one suit at a time. Then along came mass production. That lowered the cost of the suit to the customer and made a great deal more money for the manufacturer. Customers now, they probably have sacrificed something in the quality of the product, but without that sacrifice, maybe they wouldn't be able to afford a suit at all. Your model turns back the clock to individual tailoring. Does this increase the price of a suit enough to cut out most consumers, or have there been changes in manufacturing so that you can make a tailored suit that's also affordable for an average guy? 
These suits cost a million dollars. That's, you know, what I that's, want that's the thing. That's <laughs> a lot of people, when they hear the word customer, they hear bespoke, they think it's an unobtainable luxury. So what we've tried to do is create a hybrid in the sense that we're bringing an old world sartorial experience to the modern day person and that we make it affordable and that our custom suits range from 700 to around 3,500. So we're able to capture you know, the first uh, college graduate uh, right out of university going on that first time interview to the, the Saints player to... You do a lot of athletes, right? We do. We do on your website. Yeah, we do. We do a lot of actors, producers. I would take it they're extra large. It requires a lot of fabric. Yes, it does. It does. It does. Sometimes I have to get up on a uh, on a higher surface to get to them. It makes for interesting stories. But but yes, that was um, people in terms of sacrificing. Not as much as people think. You know what I mean? You think uh, we wanted to create something comparable price-wise to something off the rack. By the time you buy something off the rack, you get it altered. You're looking around very similar uh, price point. Um, but then we want to incorporate the experience. You come in, you have a drink. We have our cigars, your courtyard. It's, wow. it's like a, a man cave. It's like <laughs> stepping back in time. But the, the end result, within three to four weeks, you have a, um, a customized oh. suit. And short of the, a shorter duration than I thought it would be. That's, uh, right. that's the other part. What do you, when, you, when you get a suit, what do you... Um, what are the decisions you're making? I guess fabric would be one. Uh, what, would, what are some of the other things? Being custom, you really have to, there's two ways. When a, custom, uh, when a customer comes in or um, they, they want to commission you for, for a garment, there's a customer that knows exactly what they want, and there's those that do not know what they want, and they're really turning to you. So it's our job to really listen and to bring their vision to fruition, and the objective is to manage their expectations. So we really take our time and walk them through. You know, we'll put jackets on them, we'll walk through all the customizations of the width of the lapel, the buttons, etc. And we really don't like to follow trends. What uh, LeBron James is wearing at the ESPY Awards might not be appropriate for, for, for a CPA, although he sees that. Right. But it's our job to kind of bring the best individual out to see what styles work with them and the frame of their face, the width of their jaw, um, uh, their hair coloring, everything, uh, height, weight, etc. So we really tailor it to them, and it's, it's a process. Now, when, before you came, I thought you would have one of those tape measures around your neck, and you'd, <laughs> you'd be saying, ah, oh, 42 regular, you know, but you're, that's not really your background. You were in international, it was in the medical business, right? Correct, yes. Uh, medicine was my, was my background. Um, I wanted to go into orthopedics. That was my first love now and passion. Wow. Yes. And <laughs> this is quite a switch. Now you're, you're curing fashion issues, I guess, but it's, uh, what, now how did that happen? I mean, you were, you were abroad, I guess, right? Well, there was a, there was a girl involved and there was a trip to <laughs> Europe and uh, it was, <laughs> there was right. always something to, <laughs> but it was a beautiful derailing, if I could say that. <laughs> um, it was something that, you know, life is funny and things happen, but um, I believe everything does happen for a reason. Medicine was always in the cars for me, but uh, after I graduated, I went to Europe and an opportunity came up and I met this beautiful Italian girl that was much in the fashion and told me, reminded me on a daily basis I was a sloppy American. <laughs> and uh, I just, I was, I was working in Germany and living and, and I learned the language and I thought if, you know, uh, they don't take really kindly to a young, ambitious, ambitious uh, American, especially in Germany, it's very much, you, you put your dues in. So at 23, I had to look the part, act the part, speak the language and that was just part of uh, checking another box was, was looking the part. And, uh, my ex introduced me to custom clothing, and uh, it opened up uh, the, the feeling, the empowering 
uh, feeling that it gave me and the confidence to, to conduct my and business. And why New Orleans? Well, I thought, okay, I, I, w- I was intrigued by the business aspect of the custom clothing, but to tell you the truth, the bi- uh, well, the fashion didn't really intrigue me at first. It was the business and the scalability of it. And the, and the thought that when a customer comes to me, we, can, we then order the clothing. You see what I'm saying? So we don't have to move things on sale. I don't have to worry about inventory. It, uh, it, was lim- it wasn't limited by any means. If, if, if someone wants to wear their jacket up to their chest or whatever the trends right. are, we can follow them because it's custom. Why New Orleans? Uh, I thought, where do I have the biggest network uh, of support, of friends and family? Where can this thrive? And when I left New Orleans um, to go to Europe, it was a very different economic situation. I mean, the landscape has changed drastically, and uh, it's definitely an incredible place to be. So it happened that I had the best support here, and then the last three, four years have just been incredible. Do you ever um, ever ask to make something you personally... Don't every, like like a short sleeve suit or something like that. Or? Every day, every day, every day. <laughs> every day. And people say, "Well, do you, you know?" At the end of the day, it does have our names on it, but it wouldn't be custom if we didn't do things that other people. We kind of pride ourselves on doing things that other places, other designers, kind of, you know, um, hold their nose up to. <laughs> but that's it's it's about it's about them. You know, that's why the name is not. Joe Rotolo, it's Luca Falcone. Because why it's not, is the name? It's not about me. It's about the customer. It's about the people uh, that we empower around us. Um, what is the uh, the origin of the name? Uh, Luca is my nickname growing up. Okay. And Falcone is my grandmother's maiden name. Ah, all yes, right. Yes. Well, you know, I'm gonna ask you, Joe, because Tabitha said this is that she was saying she took like five hundred dollars to get going. Uh-huh. What what was involved in with you your side? Uh, I would suspect a little bit more. But maybe not too much more in that you said you don't need an inventory and all. No, it, it, here's, uh, there's two ways to go about it. When you're starting a business, uh, you either know or you don't know. You have someone in the family business. Um, I, I didn't. This was uncharted territory for me. So I literally flew to different countries and looking, knocked on the doors of tailors to, to, to see who I could work with. Looking back, it was a long process. And I wish I would have taken advantage of incubators here in New Orleans. I just... There was just something that I had to see. I had to see what countries I had to feel the fabrics. And initially, it was a much larger investment. But in the long run, I don't go through any sales agents. I'm on a first-name basis with my tailors. That's how we can afford to offer that suit at a, at a price. Because when you go to department stores, when you let's say you pick out a Zinnia fabric and you have a custom suit made, well, you're paying a Zinnia rep, and then you're paying the mills, and then you're paying the tailors. When you go to Luca Falcone and we make a Zinnia suit, um, our, our tailors provide the fabric and it goes straight from the tailors straight to me. So we're bypassing a, that. And that's the thing I think right? a lot of people are seeing that fashion is a business. And it's not about making something pretty that everybody wants. We do custom clothing for women. So you can go and a woman can go and look at a dress or a skirt or a blouse and say, I want this in my size. We pick a color. Any, that designer then makes it for them. And so that whole idea of putting a bunch of stuff on the rack and hoping it sell, it's gone. Retails aren't go- will not survive that way. And I think that's where we both are. Because when we started out, at, it used to be Vernon a long time ago. And we, mm-hmm. We're both growing at the same time. And I think there come a point in life where you say, there has to be a better way of doing this. 
And so when you figure out the science and the business of it, then you make customers happy. And we like to call it mass customization as opposed to just, not just customized, <laughs> but it's mass customization because they say, oh, we only gonna sell that suit to one guy. No, I'm gonna sell that suit to one guy and then that other one guy and then that other one guy. And so it's not for everyone. So you want something everybody has, go to JCPenney. But if you want something tailored and selected and right, go to a local designer and let them help you build that. And you guys know each other. This community must be pretty, pretty close, the fashion community. Right, we start as, as uh, Tabitha said in Vernon. I think uh, we always share the same sense of community um, we saw differently on some things, but that was only because we thought very similarly <laughs> and we both had certain visions. And at the end of the day, we both have our brands. And it's, and it's, brand. and it's hard to have two strong brands under one, one roof. roof. <laughs> and and I that's think what it came down it to. It was so necessary, though, because yeah. at the end of the day, um, when we both were in the same space, <clears> we were like, we want to do something tailored and custom. He said, I want to do something tailored and custom. Yeah. We don't want those type of suits. I like this type of suits. Uh, I want to have about 10 other people in this space. No, I need to push my brand. It was, a, but if he wouldn't have done what he wanted to do, then we wouldn't have two successful businesses and you would have had only one person at this table and it might have not been us. And so at the, the end of the hand, day, I would have more food. Exactly, a lot more. But I'm going to drink all these drinks, that's for sure. But <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, it takes that determination to say, I'm going to make it work and I'm going to build this the best way we can. And our goal was to help other designers to build because we saw that need. And sometimes you get clouded in it because even with us trying to make and help other designers, we've, we've been slow on pushing our own brand. Because we're so focused on helping other people grow. So there's wisdom in, in decision making. And it still takes a team and a community to get involved and support it. Because if we need, our, we need people from New Orleans to love us just as much. And because it's radio, I want people to know that you are very well dressed. You <laughs> really are. You. I guess you always have to be. Like if you just showed up in t-shirts and denim shorts, that would be... Uh, and say, well, look, no. Yeah, what's happened to Joe, really? Let's check the inbox. Our producer picks a question that's come in over the past week from a listener. Grant, what have you got? Peter, we have one question each for each of our guests. Now, Tabitha, this came in from Liz Beeson, who asks simply on Twitter, what was your greatest failure? Oh, that is a really good question. Those um, are the fur culottes, I believe, as you, you remember <laughs> that did not work out. Um, I think... My greatest failure would probably be, um, good night. I'm so good at everything. Um, there we go. <laughs> and I'm humble. The humblest person you'll ever meet. I, I think my greatest failure would probably be not, um, not finishing uh, in theater. Uh, theater is something I've, I've always enjoyed. I've written a, a couple books. I've done plays. Um, I went to NOCA. And so really not staying in the theater world and still acting and performing. Um, but I tend to use that acting and performance when I create, help create brands. And so I still get to use it, but I really wish I could have went on because I got a lot of scholarships from a lot of different universities. And I always think back, what if I would have stayed on the stage? So that's probably it. Okay. Joe, this question came in for you from Christine Elba, who asks... Some say women dress for other women more than for a man. Do men dress to attract a partner, or do they dress to impress other fashionable men? That's a great question. Uh, for me, it's growing up is always women. The guys always dress for for women or, or a partner or whoever they're trying to attract. Um, but the older you get, um, once you find your profession, your career, you 
It's uh, Tom Ford said, dressing up is, 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 is manners, is having good manners. It's a sign of respect. It's respecting the person across from you. And um, it varies depending on your audience, you know. Uh, so it's a little bit of both in different circumstances. Uh, so I guess the answer is it never hurts to look good and dress well. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier that the reputation of Americans abroad is that we're... <laughs> what word would you use? Slovenly? I don't know what the... Casual, relaxed... Yes, just um, comfortably, uh, just comfortable, I guess. Just comfortable and, I mean, it's, um, yeah, we're, we're not fashion forward, I guess. I guess. That's not Every time I go to Italy, I feel very bad about myself. There's, there's, there's a guy with no socks and $6,000 loafers. I think, why can't I do that? You know? they, uh, <laughs> now, Tabitha Bethune, Joe Rotolo, the very definition of fashion is products that are constantly changing. Your decision to go into the fashion business and open retail spaces selling handmade garments is brave, but it's working. Uh, thank you both for taking the time away from the store and the sewing machine to join me on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoyed it a lot. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Tabitha Bethune, she's creative director at the Wildlife Reserve, and Joe Rotolo, owner of Luca Falcone Custom Clothiers. You can find out more about Tabitha's and Joe's handmade garments and more by following the links on our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Jennifer Brady is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's new record is called Puzzle, and it's out now. You can find out more about that at MitchellForeman.com. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsneworleans.com and www.no.org. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. These photos were taken by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients, serving Louisiana clients for 128 years, and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities, iberiabank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers' Comp and 30 North Investments.